you, please turn with me to Paul's letter to the Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Uh, if you have the, one of the Pew Bibles, it's going to be page 1,168. Um, go ahead and turn there and follow along with me. If you are able, please stand um, as we read God's Word, not obviously for any recognition of the reader, but to God who speaks most directly to us. Here's God's word. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." Holy Father, grant your Holy Spirit to be active in revealing Christ to us as supreme and preeminent over our lives. Let us marvel at the gospel truth and be amazed at Jesus, the source, sustainer, and redeemer of creation. Prepare our hearts to understand and be awakened by your grace and mercy so that we move closer to you and each other. Amen. Well, you may be seated. As I was preparing for this sermon over the last week, uh, I wanted to meet with Dan and get some advice, get some suggestions. And he offered me two. He offered me two suggestions. And I, of course, was like, I will take whatever you're willing to offer. And the two were, one, be faithful to the text, to its original audience, and our similar need today. By not going down rabbit holes and all the interconnected doctrines and truths, that you will find, but maintain discipline and a narrow focus in your theme. And I, I think that's really important. And I'll get to the struggle with that in a minute. The second one, and I love this, put a smile on while you're up there. So very, very uh, well said and, and sage advice being provided. Now, the first one is a little bit more difficult than you might imagine especially the text this morning, it's often referred to as the hymn of Christ. I mean, as you heard it this morning, you undoubtedly were thinking about just the beauty of it, the repetitive nature of its words, and what it, what it has to say about Christ. One of the most Christological high points in the New Testament. In fact, many mention Colossians as one of the most Christ-centered books of the Bible. These principles, as you will see, are necessary, were necessary for Paul 
to declare to the Colossian church. Uh, he is needing to declare these to the church, which was having a growing concern of false teaching, having a concern of adding things to what Jesus has done, um, legalism, syncretism, which is really mixing of religions, mixing a lot of what Judea- Judaism was and, and cr- the Christian faith. And so you have these issues, but it's not so different from our world today and the culture today. And the fact that this creeps into the church at large, which is idolatry. Um, and so this really undermines and distorts the gospel. Uh, and so as we will see, it's a real struggle, real struggle for the early Christians and Christians today. Um, and so Paul's method of combating these issues is going to be shaping our plan of attack this morning. Paul as you know, in looking at all the epistles, he is not shy about being blunt. Uh, he addresses errors with direct biblical truth on who Christ is and what he has done for us. And he shapes it also with the grace of Christ and the grace and the riches of his mercy. Um, with that being said, there's, there's a saying in uh, government and military circles in which, you know, I spent quite a few years in the military and in, in the government, which I am right now, uh, a saying called bottom line up front. I, I hear a little bit of laughing back there. I think there is an understanding of what that is for a lot of folks here, especially in this region. Um, bottom line up front is meant to convey to an audience whether this message is really worth their time? What's the importance of it? Why do I need to provide more attention to what the message is? And with this, it's God's Word, and the Holy Spirit is giving us this message this morning, which the bottom line up front is this. Christ is supreme over all things, who created and reconciled all things for His glory, especially in order to make believers acceptable before God. If you really think about that, it's somewhat disruptive, isn't it? I mean, the gospel by nature is even offensive, downright offensive to those alienated and hostile to God. But even those to whom it is the power and wisdom of God, it can be a disruption or disruptive in a good way. And so when I was thinking about this term disruption or disruptive, Um, I saw a few articles written about the gospel and the resurrection talking about how it should disrupt our own lives in unique ways, um, good ways, ways that turn us back to Christ. And so in the profession in which I work, which is innovation, we deal a lot with disruptive technology or disruptive capabilities. And the way that disruption or disruptive capabilities are defined, I think is pretty significant, and how maybe it plays into a fitting term uh, for how we can be disrupted by the gospel. Typically, something that is, that significantly alters the way consumers, industries, or businesses operate. It sweeps away, it replaces the old with something new. It's got attributes that are recognizably superior. It usually alters the status quo so radically that it changes the lives of those who who use it or operate with it. In business, this is usually hit or miss. And honestly, it's more of a miss than than a hit. Um, But 
the term disruptive is, I think, fitting for what the gospel can do in the lives of those captivated by it. Alternatively as well, those needing to turn back or to be redirected by it also need to be shaken and disrupted out of our often distracted lives and focus back on Christ. So our points this morning are going to be three. Um, we're going to be looking at Christ's supremacy over creation, Christ's preeminence because of his resurrection, and results of the gospel proclaimed. So the first section, it, the passage this morning actually is divided pretty equally. Uh, we're going to look at verses 15 through 17 first, which is going to be Christ's supremacy over creation. Uh, we see here in Colossae, the Colossians were struggling with false teaching creeping in. It was making some inroads, and it was um, basically enabling um, and deceiving the uh, Colossians to believe that something should be higher than Christ. Their view of Christ is becoming, it's not high enough. And so Paul here is going to be tackling this head on um, with his approach. And so when we look at the very first verse in 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. What Paul is, what this is saying, what God's word is saying here is that Christ is God. Christ is the image of God in pre-existence, in the context here in pre-existence. So before creation, Christ is the image of God. We, we see and we hear the term image of God, we ultimately look back, right, to Genesis, to where God says, let us make man in our image. And so the image here that Christ and our triune God has is the same, the pattern of which is at, to Adam. However, that is corrupted, of course, with the fall. And so we see that, uh, one, Christ is God, and the firstborn of creation, of all creation, that's not to say that Christ is created, right? So just kind of clear that out of the way. What firstborn means here uh, in the Old Testament, it's used in terms of a her- inheritance. It's an inheritance, and in that way, Christ is inheriting all creation, not just humanity and those that Christ has come to save that God has given, but all creation. It's also means to be ruler, to be king, to subdue, to be supreme over. We see in Psalm 89, verse 27, says this, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. That is speaking of pointing to Christ. Christ is king. He is ruler over creation. So we see this truth about who Christ is that Paul is using um, with this wonderful, wonderful hymn. And then it goes into the work of Christ. Notice in verse um, 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, right? So multidimensional, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
So we see a lot of propositions in this passage, in him, through him, for him. It's just littered here. We also see a repetition of all things. And those are always tied together in this passage. And so Christ and all things are connected throughout this entire section of God's word. What Paul is doing is he's heading off the thought that the worship of angels, um, visions, idolatry, which are all created things, are higher than Christ. Paul is saying, no, look, Christ is the creator. He's the creator. All these things are created. He is over all of those things. Not only is he, all, not only is he over all of those things, all of those things exist for his purpose, for his purpose. And so we see that Christ is the goal of creation. And he's also the sustainer of creation. So if you look at verse 17, it says, and he is before all things, so the eternally begotten son of God, and in him all things hold together. So all things created by, through, and for Christ, but also sustains all things. All right? So we can take comfort and for the church there in Colossians, which Paul was speaking, can take comfort in the sovereignty of God and that God is in control. Um, I recently went to the Dulles Airport to pick up my kids coming back from California. My two boys went to California on vacation to spend some time with some old friends. And uh, I've been to the Dulles Airport several times. Usually I'm getting dropped off and going on business travel. But here, because my kids were considered unaccompanied minors, I had to go park and walk down this tunnel, this walkway, um, from the garage to the terminal. Now, I don't know if any of you have made that walk or been there before, but you probably get a sense of where I'm going. When you walk in that tunnel, there's pictures on all, each side of the wall. And those pictures are uh, from like the Hubble, Hubble telescope and other uh, imagery of space. It is abs- I, I just, I'm stunned by it. I can't look, I cannot look away from it. It's galaxies and stars just scattered throughout both sides of the walkway. So I'm disrupted in looking at this because I can't, I can't not look away. I'm seeing God's creation, right, through these pictures, and it's absolutely amazing. What's more sh- shocking to me as I was walking through this tunnel, this walkway, is everyone who was walking in it was doing the same thing. Everyone who's walking in this through to the terminal or coming back from the terminal is just staring at all of these pictures of creation. And it's just absolutely gorgeous. Um, And it tells you something, though. It tells you that God is revealed in creation, right? God is revealed in creation. It's a general revelation of God. And so whether people know it or not, consciously or subconsciously, we all know that there's a God. God exists, right? Through looking and seeing the wonder of creation. And so I found that as something very, very telling. And, you know, in the D.C. region, it's not really far-fetched to say that people are, are driven, ambitious, right? They got a purpose. They're one foot in front of the other a lot of times. It's not everyone, but it's just the nature of, you know, government work and being in that area and 
People are you know, kind of ignoring everything else around them, but everyone here couldn't do that. They were just fixated and looking and staring at these visual imagery of space and galaxies and the cosmos. All of that, that Christ and, and God created and owns, and it's for his purpose. Uh, let, that, let that sink in. That is absolutely amazing. Um, so the application here for Colossians' first point is that they're struggling with idolatry. They're struggling with um, this false teaching that's creeping in, that's taking place a higher order of Christ. And so Paul is hitting it head on saying, Christ has, is, is the hierarchy over everything. He created everything, and everything serves his purpose. And so it's truth about who Christ is um, and the work that he's done for us. Uh, if, you, if you ever take a look at the Westminster Larger Catechism, uh, questions 104 and 105 deal with the first commandment, and they deal with uh, idolatry, um, the idolatry. And it's always a very revealing, um, the scripture that's being brought in that tells you what idolatry is. And I just want to mention just a few here because this is true, this is, this is needed for the Colossian church, but it's needed for us as well. Listen just to a few of these. Forgetfulness, pride, ignorance, false opinions, self-love, self-seeking. We all struggle with that at times. We're prone to also where each of us is, you know, we idle ourselves as well. I know that's something, you know, that we can all, we all struggle with, but we have God's grace and we have the Holy Spirit to redirect us. And so that's the hope that Paul is making here. So we see Christ's supremacy over creation. This is forming the basis now to move into the next point, which is Christ's preeminence because of his resurrection. So now we're looking in verse 18 through 20, where first and foremost, we see that Christ is head of the body, the church, right? Um, Because of Christ's perfect work and his resurrection, he's head of the church. He's head of the body. We are the body, the church. Now, Paul has mentioned in several other epistles, um, we see in God's word about the church body and the functions of the body. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see that uh, we're called to come together, right? Mutual go to build up the church. Um, We also see in Romans chapter 12, uh, we see there that uh, we all have various gifts uh, given to us by God, right? To serve the church, to build up the church in that way, but also to um, give God glory and to spread the gospel. Uh, Just a little bit of a plug, obviously you've seen there's a lot of serving opportunities coming up, right? So uh, we all have have spiritual gifts, and we all have the need to exercise those in the service of this body and this church. Um, But what Paul is really getting at in this connection is not necessarily those two ways. What he's getting at is the connection between the head and the body, the union in Christ is what we're getting at here. Um, the union of Christ, we in Christ, Christ in us, um, that's the head and body connection. We can't disconnect 
Paul's experience on the road to Damascus here either. On the road to Damascus, um, Paul, you know, was engaged. Uh, Christ and the, and the light, Paul fell on his face. And this is where Christ says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? He's talking about the church. Christ is talking about the church. Paul, or Saul at that time, was persecuting the church. So that is more, that is most likely burned in Paul's memory. And it was a huge disruption to Paul and altered his ministry beyond that point to serve Christ and on mission to spread the gospel. Um, So we see in the person of Christ, we see his headship over the church. Um, We also see that and he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Again, the same term, firstborn. It has the same context here, inherited. Inherited resurrection. Inherited resurrection. And is king, ruler over the dead. He's raised. He's raised from the dead. He is victor. He is, he's got victory. He is ruler over that. It is because of that that he is preeminent over everything. Just when we looked at creation, as amazing as that is, and Christ's supremacy over it, this is even greater. This is even greater. This is the most significant event in the cosmos. Okay, This is the most significant event in the universe. Um, It is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Cornerstone. And so we see because of that perfect work, Christ is now preeminent over everything. And we see also all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Um, Harking back to verse 15, the image of the invisible God, we see here that in Christ, the fullness of God, 100% God, right? Um, So we see that Paul is really playing to the divinity and the humanity of Christ in this passage. Um, So we see here that um, Christ is uh, head of the body, the church. He is preeminent over everything because of the resurrection. And then um, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell with him. And so we're reconciled to God because of the resurrection, and we have assurance of that. And that was beautifully sung in the hymn earlier about he will hold us fast, right? Um, But I think one important note about the resurrection, about salvation, about being uh, reconciled, is that in some ways, you know, we look at the work of Christ um, and our reconciliation to God being appeasing to God, right? What we need to fully grasp is that the love of God sent his son, sent the eternal son of God, Christ, but also was pleased to dwell in Christ, right? So I think that gives us a more fuller picture about our triune God. Um, So now we're going to turn to the next verse, which is talking about Christ reconciling all things to himself, making peace by the blood of the cross. So here... Uh, we really want to talk about how all things are being reconciled. This is not 
this doesn't mean universal salvation. This is not what we're getting at here. What Christ is saying is that everything in the heavenly realm, everything that's invisible, everything that's visible is being reconciled, is coming to peace. And those things that are alienated or hostile to Christ, those are being pacified, right, by the work of Christ. And that's bringing peace to all of creation. Um, The application here for the uh, uh, Colossians and to us is that in the first point, we tend to raise things higher than Christ, right? We put things higher, and that's idolatry. But in another token here that the church is struggling with is they're adding things to Christ. They're adding legalistic measures. They're saying we're going to avoid food and drink. We're going to do all these things in the hope of some spiritual growth or sanctification. But in reality, that is taking away from Christ. Perfect work. What we're seeing here is the perfect work of Christ. You can't supplement it with anything. There is nothing to add to what Christ has done on the cross. And so that is true for the Colossians. It's also true for us. Um, In the book, uh, True Devotion, one of the books that we went through when we're going through officer training uh, class, um, had a mention about this where it talks about Adding more to the Lord Jesus Christ makes him less than what he should be or what he's intended to be. And when we add that plus sign to Christ, whatever that is will we'll always end up being some form of idolatry. Okay, it will always end up being some form of idolatry. And so we should be encouraged on the work of the resurrection. Um, we need to look at the resurrection in terms of what Christ has done is perfect work being that it's historically, right? It's evidence of who Christ is and what he's done. It's also a reality, our future reality of being raised, right? In glory and our glorification. But it's also true of us today, right? It's true of us today. So we think about future destiny, but even in our present position, the reality is that this disrupts us in the desire to be renewed day after day, um, this allows us to, through the Holy Spirit, to, to bear our cross, to say to no to sin and yes to God. Um, people have been brought out of death and into life. So as a Christian, life is about, it's about life. It's also about death. Um, so now we're, we're seeing here that as Christ has um, seen as supreme over creation, he's seen as the preeminent over everything because of his resurrection. Now we're going to be addressing this other need um, that the Colossians have and that we can see is even relevant to us is the need to continually turn to the gospel. And that is our third point, results of the gospel proclaimed. So we've been seeing up to this point um, Colossians um, prioritizing things higher than Christ. We've seen them adding things to, to Christ. And now we're seeing that those things are becoming barriers to them turning to the gospel, turning to Christ. Um, So now there's a big shift here in the passage. As you will see, it says in verse 21, now we're looking at 21 through 23, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh 
by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. So we're seeing the once, the old self, right? Alienated, hostile to the new self. The new self being the now, being holy, being blameless. And that's all due to the work of Christ. And so this is a beautiful con- contrastion, contrasting um, metaphor that Paul is using. And we also see that in Colossians chapter 3, where it talks about you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed. Renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. And so that really ties to this passage here about the old and the new. We are to live in, as new creator, creation because of Christ. Um, the intent really of Paul, you can see in chapter 2, verse 28, um, he's really talking about He's, he's saying my purpose here is to proclaim the gospel as a warning and to teach you with all wisdom that we, that we may present everyone mature, mature in Christ. So there was a maturity issue. They weren't growing in their faith because of being deceived by the false teachings. And so the same, the same good news the same good news that brings us justification, that same good news is what we turn to, to in all circumstances for continued sustenance, for growth, for, for maturity, for sanctification, um, for our praises, our hardships, our thanksgivings, our gratitude, and our prayer, we turn to the gospel. We turn to the gospel. And so ultimately, the hope of the gospel as revealed in the person and work of Christ demands our constant devotion where we can turn and have our needs met abundantly and where our spiritual growth occurs most recognizably um, in the church, in the church, in the community. And so in conclusion, um, we're going to bring this all to a close. We see the question here is, so is the good news good enough? Is it good enough? It may be helpful to enumerate and highlight truths from this passage that we just went through, um, both in the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. Uh, Listen, listen to this list real quick. The person of Christ. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. He is before all things. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is preeminent over everything. He is the fullness of God. He is defeated death by by being raised from uh, being raised from the dead from the cross. So that's the person of Christ. And so now we look at the works of Christ. In him, through him, and for him, all things created. He holds all things together, reconciled everything, made peace by the blood of his cross, reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death, presented us holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. So just as we saw earlier, um, we see God as preeminent, um, creator, sustainer, redeemer, um, even in the song we, sold, we sung earlier, he would hold us fast, right? We have, we have assurance of our salvation, those who turn to Christ. 
Um, he's, his abundant mercy and grace is sufficient for us. And that's the comfort that invites us to turn to him and place our burdens on him. We looked at Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 um, through 30, talks about how uh, Jesus says, come to me, come to me and lay your burdens on me, for my yoke is easy, the burden is light. He's saying your, your burden of all these extra things, idolatry, um, um, legalism, all these extra things that are added, put them on Christ. Let me take that for you. Um, we actually see that that's the only gospel that, uh, where Christ talks about his heart. He describes it as lowly and gentle. Lowly, for my heart is lowly and gentle. Um, so amazing. And so here, finally, we see to, in our faith, we continue in our faith because we have an awareness of Christ and who he is and what he's done for us. Um, to turn to, we, have, we do have to talk about, you know, mention very briefly repentance. Repentance sometimes gets a negative connotation, but repentance unto life, right? Repentance is to turn from sin and turn towards Christ and then in new obedience. And so to leave you with a challenge would be, how can an increased awareness of who Christ really is and what he has done for, for me or for us help us act out of that knowledge and faith for God and for those around me? Please pray with me. Father, we praise you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who has reconciled us to you through the cross. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to remain steadfast in our faith, rooted in love and filled with gratitude for the hope we have in Christ. May we live in a manner worthy of the gospel, shining your light in the darkness. We pray for those still living in darkness, that they may encounter your truth, love, and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.